All right, you bunch of yahoos, strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. And here we are. We're back for another episode of Toxic Masculinity. Uh, I don't, uh, tonight we're, we are without the services of our co host, Don the Predator Fry. He's got a few medical issues he's taking place, but we got Tony Martinez that is stepping in, uh, stepping up the plate to help fill in and to make things go through. And, and yours truly, uh, Dan to be Severin. We have a special, honored, I should say, we are honored to have a special guest here uh, this evening. We've got, uh, uh, E.J. Snyder, E.J. Snyder, in, in, in my opinion, is a rock star in a lot of different ways. First off, he's he's an Army Ranger. He, he might be a retired Army Ranger, but once a Ranger, always a Ranger. You know, Ranger instructor, survival and tracking instructor, drill sergeant. Basically, when he was, wasn't filming uh, Survivor uh, shows, he basically regularly working as a survivalist and military consultant. World-renowned class survival instructor, writer, TV host and legend on Discovery Channel's Naked and Afraid. CJ, I don't know what else to put in there. To me, it's like going, we, 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 we talked off the air there for a little bit. As I said before, in my opinion, you're a rock star American because you've got that can-do spirit. You don't wait around and mope and cry. You just take charge and get things done. Yeah, they don't call me the stall crusher for nothing. If there's an object or a problem or something in front of me that I can't open up a door and go through it. It's just a solid wall. I'm going to find a way around it, over it, or under it. If I can't, I'm going right through it. It's going to smash the whole thing to smithereens for sure. So, okay, where did you, when did you get the, 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 the name, the nickname Skull Crusher? The Skull Crusher comes back from my days in the Army. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I got bullied as a kid. Hard to believe. You know, it's now really? I'm 245, but then I was like kind of a little skull uh, stick snapper instead of a skull crusher. <laughs> so these kids were bullying me. So my dad was teaching me how to box in school. I was learning wrestling. I was too poor, you know, growing up in North Jersey to afford uh, karate classes with the single mom. So when my friends would come back from different karate classes, I'd say, hey, teach me what you learned today. And I was learning judo from one guy, taekwondo from this guy, you know, uh, jujitsu from this guy. So I started developing all these different styles to build my own confidence up so I could confront these guys. And I just fell in love with fighting and I did it at, you know, very amateur level, but I joined the army. Anytime there was a boxing smoker or there's something going on, I, I was, you know, trying to get involved with it. So I uh, was in a barracks one night, we're having a barracks party. And there was this one guy there that was known for sucker punching people. And all of a sudden he sucker punches. I see this hand come right by my head. Hits my friend, splits his eye open. He goes down. I'm just like, what the hell? I throw the guy down. I go to tend to my buddy. He's going to need stitches. Like, oh, we got to get you to the hospital, dude. You got a, you got a pretty good gash. Next thing I know, I feel this glass breaks across my head. I, to this day, I still don't know if it was a bottle or a beer mug. And I stood up, and that red got my eyes. And I turned around to him. I was like, son, you're better off sandpapering a grizzly's air, uh, grizzly bear's ass and fuck with me. And I jumped on him. Ooh, I was on him hard and I'm pounding him. I knocked him down, ground pounded him. They pulled me off. I was like, fuck you, I'm out of here. Get my buddy to the hospital. The next morning I show up to formation. This guy's all patched up. And apparently I fractured all of his cheekbones and everything else, but they gave him a, a penalty for being drunk and just, you know, drunken at a, not with his wits. 
And they didn't do nothing to me, but they all the guys were like, hey, what's up, Skull Crusher? What's up, Skull Crusher? And I was like, whoa, sh- okay. I'm glad to, glad the guy wasn't – I didn't kill him, but, you know, I, I hit him like only four or five times, but it messed him up pretty good, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, wants to mess with the Skull Crusher. That, that, that's, what's, that's what's wrong with the world. It's like too many people think they, they can get away with anything they want to say. And I'm like going, I think, uh, well, again, Mike Tyson, he, he has, I'm sure his, his lines been used many, many times. You know, everyone's got to plan until someone punches you in the face. But to me, it's like the same way when people start to say things, you can say almost anything you want until someone takes offense to it and actually physically uh, challenges you. you know? That's an eye for real. <laughs> yes, exactly. We, we, we live in strange times because, like I said, you're of, of, of an older vintage just like myself, and uh, you've seen you've seen the United States change a yeah. great deal. Not necessarily in the right direction, but we do live in, in a world of, of, of electronics, you know, that, yeah. that uh, the cell phone device, they're everywhere, and you see all these people that they're watching a fight, but they're just watching the fight, and they're filming the fight. Is anyone actually stepping in to stop it? No. They all want to. Am I getting more hits on my on my YouTube list? Or am I getting more hits on my right. my TikTok or whatever? I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous instead of just to be stepping in there or, or taking uh, the side of uh, the person who was righteous in the first place. Because to me, yeah, it's they, like they they really ahead. seriously, you know they. It's it's real big and brave, and I tell people if you're gonna write something, put it. You know, you can have your right to an opinion. I fought two wars for you to have that, but make it sure it's well thought out. Do your homework on whoever you're talking about, and if you start looking at your certifications, you're not more qualified than that person to comment on maybe what they're doing for a profession. Then maybe you probably shouldn't say it. And damn sure, if you're not gonna say it to that person, if you met him in face to face, probably shouldn't say it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, we have, well, when, Nowadays, when, when you have, when you people have people grow up with no repercussion anymore, people well, again, they well, can say whatever they want when they're behind that cell phone or the yeah, keyboard. Well, well, just look, look at every, ever since they took away corporal punishment out of our school systems. Now mm-hmm. you have kids that come to school and they look right at you and they go touch me and my parents are going to sue. Yeah, I mean it's it's just ridiculous to me. It's like going, yeah. I remember going into classrooms and those uh, the teacher would have that paddle proudly on display. It even have you know burned into it board of education. And if you got out of line, you're brought to the front and <laughs> you would be administered. You know, a couple a couple swats, two three swats, depending on what you did, and uh, and done. Yeah. It's uh, you know when I look at that in today's world. Parents are no longer parenting, or or there are no no more repercussions. Just kind of going, well, let's have let's have a timeout, little Johnny. Yeah, yeah. You know, little, little little Johnny's ass needs to be beat. Is what what needs to happen here? There's yeah, no yeah. repercussion. Again, I'm not saying send the kid that to the hospital. You know, right. follow through with a couple of swats or something yeah. like that. I I always say in my business, especially survival business, or even in the world, you know. Hard times don't last, but hard people do. You don't do people favors by coddling them, giving it to them in an easy day. When I was a drill sergeant in the Army, you know, I I made sure that 
you know, I'm sending these kids off to maybe one of my buddies and they're going to have to take them to war. And they're going to say, who was your drill sergeant? I said, oh, it was drill sergeant Snyder. And now if that guy's a piece of crap, then that comes back on me. So, you know, sure. I think it's very, you know, I'm going to put these guys in battle. I've got to be hard on them. So that way, when it's time for them to do what they got to do and squeeze the trigger uh, and make some other poor bastard die for his country, uh, then I need him to be ready to do that. And you don't do that by calling people, you know, do no. no favor. Okay. What, what do you think of now? Because now I've read this in a few different places that there's this thing called a, a yellow card in the military. Now I could simply come up to you and go, uh, commander Snyder, um, I'm having a bad day. Um, I need to use my yellow card because you're being just too me that you're just being too hard on me. In my days as a drill sergeant, that thing probably got tore up and uh, sent somewhere like that. It probably ate it and swallowed it. Uh, I didn't have to deal with any of that when I was there. There were some rumors about some stress cards, but, uh, uh, you know, I made sure those individuals from day one understood that I was going to do some things to make them very uncomfortable, uh, and probably not like me, but it was for their benefit so that the day would come when they were sitting on the line shooting rounds down range then they would understand and then they, yeah. would, they would thank me and I would feel that in spirit. And that's what my drill sergeant had told me. And it sat with me yeah. all those years and it saved my ass for real. And I was like, wow, now I know what drill sergeant Mallet was telling me when he was in my face, dragging me from one end of the barracks to the other. I got it. You know, I was a jerk. So yeah. he fixed that jerkness out of me. Yeah, that's the only thing that I've, I've never been involved in was military. That's one thing that, uh, I mean, when I was going through my athletic career uh, through high school, that um, I I kept thinking, well, by the time I, I get to be a graduate senior, how am I going to be able to go to college? How will I be able to pay for it? Because the thought of ever asking mom or dad for money never entered my mind because I had seven other brothers and sisters. I'm second on yeah. the total pole. That was ne that never entered my mind because they're feeding and clothing eight kids that I'm not, not going to ask them, but a few, a couple of my friends had older siblings that upon high school graduation, they did go into the military, come out right. and went to college on the GI bill. So that was actually my first thought. I'm going to do that for myself. And but then by my sophomore year, when I had uh, some colleges starting to look at me going, hey, you've got some potential here. Keep up the good work. I thought, OK, I have option number two. So I'm always big about preaching to people, create options for yourself so that you know, it's always better to have a couple of options. It's only other than just one, you know. Yes, for so sure. That's what I've been always been big about. Yeah, I know back in the days uh, I graduated in 84. So going through the 80s, the computers were just kind of starting to come around. They really weren't a full thing. So they managed you on athletics by sport cards or whatever. And then, you know, my family, you know, my mom, you know, my parents got divorced when I was young. So my mom and stepdad, we moved around from town to town. So I went to three different high schools. They're like, and I went to different, as soon as you move, you move within the county, you're probably maybe okay. You go two counties over, forget about it. They, they, they don't know where you're at. And so all my sports scholarships were just, where is that kid at? And I would show up at this school, yeah, show up yeah. at that school. And then one time I was in the Army in basic training, Phil Strong calls me up there. He says, you got a letter from Boston College. What do you think this is? Some kind of garbage? You're going to go off to school now? You're not going to stay here, son? I was like, only two weeks of basic training. I was like, Drill Sergeant, no, sir. Take your letter and go over there and you read it. You don't bother us about it. I was like, okay. 
and said I had a full ride to play linebacker up at Boston College. And I was like, wow, that was my dream. But all right, I guess I got to go do KP now because <laughs> that's <laughs> what I signed up for. Yeah. What, was any other family members involved in military at that time? Um, I had. Did you have like, I mean, like, uh, did, okay, did your stepfather, did your, your, your real father, any, any other family no, members had, in military? Both my grandfathers were World War II vets. Um, my okay. one grandfather was an 82nd paratrooper. The other was an infantryman on the Pacific Islands. And uh, then I had an uncle in the uh, in Korea and another uncle that went to Vietnam. But really wasn't a factor in my life because everybody that went in the military got drafted. I was one of the first ones to volunteer to go in. That sense of adventure kind of, uh, you know, talked to me. Uh, of course, it was during the time of Johnny Rambo movies, so that was very influential and in like, yeah, yeah, out there surviving. That's I think what was the draw, and I'm just just getting that now that he was out there and he was killing the hog and he was living off the land. I was like, man, I want to be like that guy, but for real. And I think I wound up being that guy in the end, um, even though he was a fictitious character. It was. You know, that's what thrilled me. I was like, I want to go in and be self-sufficient. I want to be a, a fighter, a warrior, protect the weak, and be able to live off the land like that dude and, and make it happen and be able well, to. Well, well, where you grew up at, I mean, did, did you have any kind of a, of this around you in the first place? I mean, for uh, I like a rules. Yeah, my, my, I was in North Jersey, so I'm up there near New York City, but my actual biological father was a, um, he was a, a carpenter. But on weekends, he was born in the wrong area. He should have probably been born in Colorado and maybe at a different era as a cowboy. Because we would take, he would get us on the weekends and we would go to the woods out in Western Jersey, uh, upstate New York, out to Pennsylvania. We would hunt, we would trap, we would fish, we would camp. Um, and when we were back in, in uh, around the Meadowlands, my dad and I would actually go into the Meadowlands and, and trap for beaver pelts and muskrat and we'd sell them. So he really got me into the outdoors. So anytime I could find anywhere that was woods or I'd come home with water moccasins for my mom from the creek. And she's like, you, you can't keep those. I'm like, oh, they're, they're just pets. They're snakes. She's like, they're poisonous. <laughs> White mouths. She's like, no, that thing will kill you. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So I got there. And then the army took me to the next level. I was in the infantry. We're always outside. I started doing a lot more outdoor activities, had a short stint in scouting. So all that influence. And then I went to ranger school in 1988, and got exposed to formal survival training classes. And then I would just, in my ranger handbook, that's all I would study was the survival stuff. So when I became a ranger instructor, they made me the primary survival instructor in Florida. And they sent me to the army steer school, which is teaches you how to survive behind uh, enemy lines. So you get wilderness survival training, escape and evasion, how to you know break out of things, hot wire cars, break out of restraints. And then you learn how to resist uh, questioning and other uncomfortable things in a, in a mock prison camp. Uh, and then I came back as a primary survival instructor for three years and fell in love with it, started teaching it on the side to whoever would want to learn with me or practice with me. And back then it was like, why two case coming? It's like, oh, I better get ready. Because if the world flips, I want to be ready for me and my loved ones. So I wanted to be the best survivalist on the planet. And that was my goal. So then I went on, got out of the military, went on to teach at the Special Warfare Center down at Fort Bragg, 
uh, Green Berets, taught them how to survive behind enemy lines, went to the SEER program for five years, was doing TV on the side. Uh, but then it was like, oh, 2012. Yes, the world's going to flip. The zombies are coming and all this. And all right, better get ready. And it never happened. But uh, I kept up my drive. I got involved with some TV programs that inspire people not just to get outside and learn survival and live outdoors, but also how to be, you know, with me, I've inspired people to get a, the positive mindset. Because anything going wrong in your life, if you have a positive mindset, you can get through any problem, whether whether it's an addiction, a relationship problem, trouble in school, work. If you set your mindset into a winning mindset, a positive mindset, a can-do attitude, like you said, uh, you can do anything. And through that model, I became an example for so many people. Put my naked butt on TV. I, I did not see that coming. That inspired millions of people across the globe. And actually, maybe you can see it right there. I am now ranked the number one survivalist in the world out of 100 known survivors. Um, wow, that what 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 an honor that is! I mean, that that just um, so so cool. That's <laughs> so yeah, cool. By it because there's a lot of good names on that list, and you probably know a bunch of them. And that's just a, a great group of people to be associated with. Well, just again, just to back up a little bit, to, to get to be an army ranger. I mean, that's uh, that, that's a very elite category in itself. How many people that go into army ever make it up to that army ranger status? I went through the army when they were doing the, what they called the Ranger Three Thousand program. So they were trying to get three thousand ranger qualified enlisted men in the army to have their ranger tab and be ranger qualified, serving ranger positions. And uh, I was part of that drive. And I really, that was the epitome of, of being a soldier, to be that commando in the infantry, was to be a ranger. Just like being a, a, a non-commissioned officer, to be the epitome of the non-commissioned officer was a drill star for me. So I did that. And, and I went to ranger school before that. Um, and it was tough. I think the original class I went in with was 288 people went into the class, only 76 people made it through the first time 76 that's a pretty high attrition rate when they uh when they okay how, how do you say when they when they quit how did they how did, how, how was that signified well it's either they failed too many patrols they didn't pass the, the the standards for doing uh combat patrolling you know you get put in a leadership position you get graded and if you don't make the test, then you don't pass. And so, you know, you get a no-go, as they would say. And if you got too okay. many, you got more no-goes than you've got goes, no, you missed something. Okay. So they put you in a recycle phase, and then you go back through it again. If you pass it, you keep moving on. For me, okay. it was, I want to be the standard of excellence. So for me, failing in my life has never been an option. Ever since I've been a little kid, I knew I could only count on this guy right here. And so... When I'm getting picked last for sports, I didn't like that feeling. So I went out and learned every damn sport possible. Not that I wanted to be the best at any of them. I just didn't want to get picked last. So that sure, was my sure. <laughs> and, sure, and, I that. Yeah, so bullies are picking on me. Well, they're not going to pick on me no more. I'm going to go stand up for other kids that are getting bullied. And I learned how to fight. I go in the military. I want to be the best I can. So the Rangers, that was it. That was the best there was out there. And I've been living by that Ranger Creed since 1988, ever since, and uh, even to this day. Wow, wow! Let's jump into Naked Afraid. How how did you find out about this in the first 
place or, or did they approach you or did you see something and you uh, sent something no, they, in, call somebody or? They tried me out for a show called Dual Survival. And Dual. they replaced, yeah, Dual Survival, where okay. you have two different mindsets on survival. One's more of a bush hippie, bushcrafter type, man of the, you know, a woodland kind of a guy. And then you have kind of a military guy. And they get thrown okay. into a situation and they got to work together to figure out how to get through that scenario. So I tried out for it. They were replacing one of the original hosts. Uh, another guy kind of beat me out. We'll just leave that where it was with his fake resume and everything. Uh, but they said, EJ, we love you. We'll give you a call. I was doing some other stuff at the time. I was doing a, a, a venture race in Fiji. I was uh, drinking my beer because we had lost the race. We didn't win our hundred, the hundred grand on the race. And I got a call. And I'm looking out the window as these waves are breaking in, and it's a guy, Steve Rankin was the showrunner. He says, mate, Discovery loves you. We told you we'd call you back. We've got this new extreme survival show. You're the, one of the most qualified survival guys we've come across our roster in a long time. We think you would be great. You're very tough and you got that military mindset. We want to put you in Tanzania and see if it works. So I said, all right. So as the weeks go on, I'm having meetings with these guys. So they say, oh yeah, minimal gear, minimal gear. Then it starts to be like strip poker. Oh, we're going to take away your backpack. And that's it. Oh, we're going to take away uh, this other gear. We're going to take away your, your shirt, all your pants, your shoes. I'm like, dang, all I got left is my underwear. So he's like, yeah, we're gonna, you're just going to go out there naked with a couple items. So I was like, and I thought they were joking, really. So I show up in Africa. I've signed the contract. Me and Kelly are out there. And I'm throwing my clothes. They're like, all right. You get off here, you're gonna go meet your partner and I'll take your clothes off. I was like, You guys are serious? So I start throwing my clothes off, throwing my shoes in there, running through my head is, Am I gonna have a seat at the BFW anymore? What's my mom gonna think? Oh my God. <laughs> Am I still gonna have a job when I get back? And I was like, Oh, well, you guys are paying, I'm playing. And so we filmed the very first Naked Afraid episode, 21 Days. I was also brought into while trying to survive, consult on the show and help build a hit series with the producer. So I'm doing three jobs at one time. My partner, she's surviving. That's her job. I'm secret meetings behind a rock trying to figure out how we can make a show out of this. And nobody knew what they were doing. When I met my partner, I pull out this cr crappy map that looked like a kindergartner drew. And I says, all right, Steve. So, uh, 21 days, this is our playground. Where the hell do you want me in 21 days? He's like, oh, there's an X on the map. I'm like, there's no X on the map. He pulls this, a Sharpie out and he goes, oh, give me that. Right there, mate. That's that mountain right there. 21 days, you'll be up there. A helicopter will come get you. That'd be your extraction right. point. Okay, I got your extraction yeah, point, extraction right? Point. And I'm like, so what now? He's like, well, go do your survival stuff. We'll follow. I'm like, all right, Kelly, let's go. And little did I know that those first few steps would walk into uh, history. It's been a very hit. Uh, it's been a, a hit series ever since it started. It became addicting to people. I was oh, getting it bashed. is. Yeah, I, I was getting bashed for six months until uh, Good Morning America did a little pilot on it and people started to understand it. And it's been a hit series for 14 regular seasons where you have 21 days, strange man, strange woman, naked survived 21 days. Then we have the XL version, which has done eight versions of that. Uh, I've been on three of those uh, where it started out initially 40 days. Then they wanted to push the envelope and they let a couple people go out for 60 
And then the 40 day people joined them later on. And then they decided, let's try 60 days with 12 people. And then I did that one. And now I just went out again. They had a, this last season. It was uh, four people trying to make 60. And then each of them had two people underneath them trying to go for 40. And at the end of 40, they could just say, well, I want to stay 60 now and try to go 60. So it's an incredible season. Uh, the first week they had uh, six people tapped out, gone. So you weren't supposed to be on this last season. I wasn't supposed to be there. And then they called me up. They called Matt and Jeff and asked if we would come down to help. And that's what I did. Went in there not to be the hero, not to take anyone's thunder, but to help the people that were left. And right. then I went in and did 43 days. Uh, one of the other guys that went in with Jeff, he didn't make it. He got sick. He only lasted maybe nine days and he was gone. And uh, me and Matt, we stayed with them. So we had two people finish 40 days and then me and Matt got four people, helped them out. And we all, and then we got them to 60 days. Um, but to Amber, Steven, Waz and Dan, I mean, uh, unbelievable effort. You know, they, they would have made it uh, on their own. They were that tough, but it was really nice to have them around. I was with Steven before he was the main guy I was with. Uh, he did 60 days with me in the swamp. So I knew what kind of kid he was. So yeah, I just do, I just need to hang out with them and we hang out outside the show. So we have a great time together. So, well, typically on, on this show, they always say that you're allowed to bring one item. Yeah. One item that, 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 but what was that? What, what was the one item that you typically would bring with you? For me, my number one survival item, as you can go to my website, ejsnyder.com, I talk about it all the time. It's a survival knife. Uh, this is a little outline of the knife I designed. The first knife I took to Africa broke. When I got back from Africa, I said, I'm never going to let that happen ever again. I need a one-tool option. That one's from Topps Knives called the SXP, Skull Crusher Extreme Blade. It's the most used blade on the show. Uh, and probably Matt Wright, he's also a knife maker. He makes his little savage blades uh, that people take. Um, a fixed blade, meaning it's full metal all the way through the handle, okay. is so critical. I know because I, I kind of looked at it. I, I saw it when, uh, on a couple of the videos that, that you're in, but when I saw it there, it kind of reminded me of a little bit of like a tomahawk, but I go, but that's a blade all the way down below that. So I said, that's a multifunctional type of a blade. So can, can you the the, the, Yeah. Because you chop so much wood. wood. Yeah, yeah. You're building stuff. You're chopping so much wood. You have the draw blade. You can carve with it. You can... You can gut. I, I did a video on my website, a knife only video where I go out for like three or four days with just that knife and show how to survive with just a knife. Um, I did a whole video series on basic survival, but that's the final chapter of those series of 11 videos is just knife only. And so everyone gets to bring one item. I brought a knife. That one broke out there the first time. Kelly brought a pot. The second time we went to the Amazon, uh, three people quit that time. Me and a girl named Laura Zara, who's the best female survivalist on the planet, we went in there, and we were the first two to ever do it twice, and everyone, even the locals said, nobody could do this 21 days. She brought a knife. I brought a fire starter uh, with a magnesium end on it so we could Wait, did, did you guys communicate? Did you guys communicate before? Does the know that, okay, I got a knife, she got a fire starter. You, you know, you got a good combination, or, or just, or did uh, it just luck no. out? On, on that one, didn't you have to use... Didn't you have to use whatever they left that time? Because I think you said three people left that before you got yeah. there, right? And they, well, and those, that's what they guy, took in. 
Yeah, one guy never got off the boat, so they brought a replacement guy in for him. Those two people came in with a machete and a fire starter. Mm -hmm. So we brought items that you normally do four items, and you number them one through four, and they, they, the producer and the local survival people figure out what you're going to have the best chance of survival out there. And so when we went in, they decided we want EJ and Laura to bring in the same two items, a knife and a fire starter, as the people that tap so, they, so we can see how it can be done. So we went in that time with a knife and a fire starter. I killed a six foot electric eel. That was our main meal out there. Yes. Built this amazing raft to get us out of there. That's what we're most known for on that episode. I, I know I know Tony's got a couple of questions for you about, about, about the eel. So go ahead there, Tony. <laughs> so how did, so the first, I saw you guys kill the first one and um, it didn't look like it shocked anybody really. I mean, at least, at least, what, at least was, what they showed on TV. Yeah, the but that first seal I ever killed with Laura was yeah. in a it was in a water hole like a pond. So the Amazon River floods and then it recedes. And so there's pockets of little ponds and lakes in the in the Amazon when you get in the jungle. And we found that one. I think he was in a hibernative state. Okay. So when I hit him or I severed his spine right lucky right off because he didn't shock me. Yeah. I love but when it. I went the next time to Colombia yeah. for 40 days and I was on the Alpha Male team with Jeff and Hakeem. We lost Akeem after a week, and so it was just me and Jeff. We picked up Shane along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, the three of us went in there, and that electric eel came in there, and that one shocked the living dickens out of us. Yeah. I think like Jeff took times. four hits. I, I took seven hits from that thing. That thing throws out like over 500 volts, something like that. Uh, they said it's like 600 to 700 volts yeah, each shock. Wow. And then and, even being in the water, I mean, that has to shock. I mean – yeah, it's conducting in the water. So you're like, I remember seeing Jeff hit him with the with the knife and ah. Oh yeah, man, that was that's you're crazy. with the knife and you're getting shocked. It's letting the electricity all through the water. Uh, on the fourth one, it hit Jeff in the heart. I had him sit down. Yeah. So then yeah. I went in there and I'd start hacking on it, and I hit it about seven times. And on the seventh one, it hit me in the heart. Shane comes down. He's an electrician by trade. He's been zapped all the time. So he goes in there one swing, gets the zap, but he cuts the thing in half. It's like, oh, that uh, uh, talk about good eating. Yeah. What was the what's the been the best thing that you've eaten out there? Uh, the swamps. Uh, it's well, actually it's a tie. The swamps. We had armadillo and armadillo. We put in this can cookers like a pressure cooker. After we pulled the bones and the guts out, it literally has its own fats, oils and seasonings inside itself the most delicious food I've ever ate in the wild in that situation. And then when this time in the Amazon, our guy, Matt, who's legendary with this bow. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, he was nailing the Kamungo bird, which is a, a Turkey. A oh, wild turkey. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that. All in a horn screamer. The sucker's got these big horns at the end of its wings on each elbow. And if you come at him, he's going to back up and get to a spot where he can just defend himself and uh, you'd appreciate that, Dan. He'll hit you with those spikes pretty fast and make you sing sing another tune. Like Matt, Matt made a necklace wow. out of those, right? It was awesome. I saw. Yeah, those, he made a necklace with a couple of necklace. them. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. I used the birds. Uh, I had in the you'll see in the series. I had hanging from my neck was actually its pelvic bone, yeah. but it looked like a weird skull. And okay, I was like, I "What the heck you got that. there?" I says, "Oh, that's the chupacabra." <laughs> the chupacabra i like it so what are those i saw now you have obviously was a six of those little uh what are those what are those made out of hemp or all right little, so these what are, are those, uh, what are those symbolize 
Yeah, these all these little round beads, one for every challenge I've been on, and I got six of them. Yeah. They are actually a microphone. That's what I thought. There are a microphone out there. The wire runs down the strap that goes over your shoulder, and in the bag is a transmitter in a waterproof bag. Now, if you're going to go deep submersion or at night when they got to recharge the stuff, they give you a, a fake necklace and another bag, and then you just diary cam. They've got cameras in the camp. So it's an honor to wear these. Uh, I am in the camp of you don't wear them unless you made at least 21 days. You know, for each one you pass, you get it. There's only three of us that are six challenges and no taps. Me, my partner, Stephen Lee Hall Jr., and Max, who was my partner in the swamps, who uh, came and found me. And uh, and Matt has six challenges, but he's got one. He's got seven challenges, one tap, but he's got six of these as well. That was, that was his was due to medical issues, right? Yeah, he had a medical tap the uh, first time he was in the Ecuadorian Amazonian jungle. Now, this was a gift. It's a jaguar's tooth. Oh, that wow. a chieftain out there was a good friend of mine from the first time I was out there, gave that to me. It's got a special piece of wood and a prayer bead on it. And then down the line, we got a, a black bear claw because we got stalked at a black by a black bear in uh, the uh, swamps. And I wanted to honor that. Nice, yummy gator. That's a gator tooth. Uh, and next, I got a wolf tooth. One wolf fang representing each of the wolf packs that were stalking me when I was in the Bulgarian mountains on my alone making the prey challenge. So I wanted one, uh, the wolf was my spirit animal. So I got a lot of respect for him. And so I wanted one fang to represent each of those two packs. And then lastly, a caiman tooth each because caiman's yummy. Yep. Worst <laughs> thing the I ever bowl. ate, tadpole soup. Oh, <laughs> Kelly made that for us in Africa. It was the most god awful thing I ever put in my mouth. So, so back wow. to your first show, what was it like the first time you walked up on a, another naked person in the wild? Um, it was different. I mean, I'm pretty comfortable with my own skin. Here I am for the world to see. So that really didn't bother me, but I want, I'm an old fashioned guy. And, and in that time I was still thought on gender roles and stuff was still pretty traditional, you know, mm-hmm. men are men, women are women, not saying that she couldn't be a good outdoors woman and help. But I also wanted to be gentlemen. You know, I want to be a gentleman out there. And then, and then she, she just jumped up and hugged me. I said, okay, we just throwing that out the window. That's all good. Yeah. And uh, that really broke the ice. And we both laughed about it later on. And uh, that how, actually how old, really, you, how, how old were you, EJ, for, for that first for that first episode? Um, I was 47. 47. Wow. Still, that's incredible, yeah. though. You know, started, started, he started late, just like you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, wow. and, and you both dominated that's you know and you both dominated what you do that's i mean it's amazing you guys are like yeah. i said they broke the mold they need more men in this world like you guys it's it's been quite a journey especially when you growing up in, i mean you you go up and in, in, you said north jersey i mean what part yeah. of the, i've been through all through new jersey uh quite a bit through for my professional days i i went Almost every other month, I was going into uh, New Jersey practically for the uh, National Wrestling Alliance. So uh, I traveled all through there. So what what parts of uh, New, Jer- uh, New Jersey are we talking about? Uh, I was in uh, mostly in and around Hackensack. Uh, Hackensack. Up, yeah, Hackensack. Uh, my folks live in New Milford. I was in Paramus. Uh, graduated from Lynnhurst High School. Spent some time out west in Hackettstown. Um but mostly, you know, in and around right there around Hackensack, Crestkill, 
uh, Paramus, South Hackensack, Hackensack, Milford. And yeah, the, I mean, that was the first time going through there. Everything, all the restaurants, they're known as diners. That was the first time I've ever seen it. I kept thinking, why every place is known as a diner here in, in the yeah, state. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, where other places that they'll have all their individual days, but it's always diner this, diner that. But, you know, yeah. they're big things, or you got a pizzeria on every corner. You know, it's pretty interesting. I mean, pretty much I tell people, well, what'd you grow up doing? Like, ah, you know, the Sopranos, the TV show, when they go through the Montauk, that was my neighborhoods. When he, you know, Jersey City, all in those areas, you know, that's where my stomping grounds were. And what's what's the most, uh, the, the, okay, the gas stations that are out there, they're all, I mean, I noticed that was the first time I've seen it, but there's the same uh, brand all, all across the, the state. It's like a, a very common one for the state of Jersey, but it's not back back in Midwest or Western states at all. Uh, I know they got Luke Oil, which is actually Luke a Russian gas company. Now this was, it was all where you'd be, literally you go in there and then you got, you get all kinds of cool food and stuff like that, but oh, it's Wawa's. not back. Wawa's, there you go, Wawa's. Yeah, Wawa's. yeah, yeah Wawa's. exactly. That's the first time I ever went into a Wawa. I'm thinking, what the heck is a Wawa? I'm thinking, what name does this represent or something like this, but yeah. Apparently it's some, it's, it's some kind of a bird. That bird that's on the sign, apparently. I, I still don't think I really know all these days. Yeah. Well, again, I just I I, I fell in love with the Wawa's because it'd be literally one stop. I could get it all yeah. between just get get my gas tank filled up and get myself yeah. something to, to fill me up. Keep on. Still going. to this day, they they have gas gas jockeys out there pumping the gas. Yes. That again, that's surprising because the first time I get out, I'm starting to pump the gas. The guy's like, "Oh, you can't do that." I'm thinking, "What?" He's like, yeah. I, I, it shocked me the fact that I think it's the only state that actually does still pump your gas for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. just a few other states that, it, but it's in like one or two towns or cities, and then I think so, one county in upstate New York. What kind of projects you got coming up? I mean, what's 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 on the the, the horizon here right now for you, Jay? So right now, um, I'm. I'm the uh, senior survival, uh, chief survival consultant and safety advisor for a guy named Mr. Beast YouTube. Everybody, you know, if you find him on, uh, on YouTube, he's a very popular YouTuber. He's probably in the top three and the top three earners. And he does these crazy stunts. And he started when he was 12 years old. He's only 22 right now. The guy is really a great spirit. He likes to donate a lot of money to amazing causes. His videos get hundreds of millions of views all the time. So he's doing, he wants to do these little survival stunts. So uh, I'm not going to say what ones we're doing right now, but we're getting ready to put them out there for a hundred hours in different scenarios. And I'm going to be on camera with them. Uh, my website, ejsnyder.com just got revamped. Uh, I've got a brand new, uh, the ultimate bug in and home defense video comes out July 26th. You can get on my website. If you sign up with your email, that way you don't miss any of the alerts, the updates, or blogs. But 90% of the world isn't, they say bugging out. You're not bugging out anywhere. We learned from the pandemic that most people are just going to bug in where they're at. Stay right in their home or wherever their domicile is. And if they do bug out, they're only going somewhere to bug in anyway. So this video will give you all the preparedness, ins and outs, the stuff to get, the, the items that you might want to look at on every budget from a low budget to a medium budget to a, a, a someone has a lot more money to, to put into it and, and a way to do it in a hybrid way. Maybe spend more money on one thing that you think is more important, 
versus something else. And then we're going to talk about the home defense situation. Because once you got your stuff all on, on the, the shelves and everything, defense is very is key. And how do you do that? And then when you get to after you get through the five D's of the defense, and you know, they're coming through the door and you've got to go, you got to have a plan. So he talks about all this stuff. Um, and so it's uh it's uh, gonna be a great video. I've got a ton of other survival videos for purchase up there, along with survival gear, all the services I offer. I mean, uh, my survival training contact forms are coming in left and right because I do survival training classes for basic and advanced. I offer some like dual survival, naked and afraid uh, adventures. Uh, I offer campfire chats. Maybe you don't want to go out and, and work on survival, but you want to come hang out, ask questions of me about my adventures or whatever. Okay. We do a campfire chat. Head around the sit around the campfire. We grub up, grill up some food, drink some whatever your favorite beverage is, and we just talk story, answer questions in the morning. I'm making you a, a, a campfire scramble egg breakfast with coffee, and so it's a great thing. It's great for families. It's been very popular. Um, and now I'm going to start appearing at a bunch of uh, NASCAR events with uh, Jeff Earnhardt. So I'm going to be traveling, doing appearances uh, while they're doing autograph signing. I'm going to do the same thing uh, and meet people. Um, I'm all over the world uh, or the country for the most part. But I was uh, just out west. I went from Arizona to Utah, up to Idaho, went to Yellowstone, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado. Did a big six-week, 6,000-mile tour. I was going in my F-250 with a 5x8 behind me with all our off-grid camping gear in it. And they said, where are you going? So I'm going to camp out the Colorado River by base camp adventure because I want to camp out by the Colorado River and be on that side. You can't go up that trail. That's a Jeep trail. Hold my beer. Better get out of my way because I can't turn around with this thing. We had a boulder come down. And the boulder come down, hit the truck, bounced off the, the, the five by eight, came back, hit the bumper, rolled off a, about 900 foot drop off. I was able to stay. Thank God not have that thing flip. And uh, wow, I came rolling in after six weeks to my trailer guys because I bought it brand new. I was like, hey, can you guys fix this? I'm like, what the hell happened? Moab happened, of course. It was like, looked like Clark Griswold. The fender was hanging out. Oh, wow. The car was wobbly. Well, I mean, like, what what time frame was this that you were out there by the Yellowstone? Because I, I know Yellowstone uh, kind of got devastated a little bit with some, yeah. some storms of that. Uh, it was around the month of April. Uh, I was in, uh, I got down towards the end of it, right when they did, uh, I had, I was at Yellowstone on opening day and it was a blizzard going on and we were in there and I went over there and watched Old Faithful go up. Childhood dream of mine is to see this place. And I'm, I'm sitting there with only 12 people getting ready to watch Old Faithful. And it was amazing. We got to see bison covered in snow like you see with the icicles coming off their mouth. And I'm like 10 feet away from this magnificent creature. It was, oh man, it stole my heart. as a place that every American should go visit. Well, again, I'm supposed to be heading out to Cody, Wyoming, which is not that far from it uh, for an event um, here in less than two weeks. And, uh, you know, that was one of my things I was looking to do was simply because it's so close. Why not head on over there? But I kept thinking, I did not know what kind of... What kind of shape Yellowstone was in it's having a rough after time all right that now. took place? Yeah, it's having What's a rough that? time right now. Yeah. Having a rough time. Uh, my friend uh, who's on Mount Men, his name's Josh Kirk. He lives out in Lander, Wyoming. He uh, has a he manages a 600-head buffalo ranch. So 
Uh, I wound up going out there and spending uh, about uh, almost a week with him. He has this 1800s hunting cabin that I, primitive cabin that I got to hang out in and sleep in that cabin while I was out there and nothing but wolves and buffalo out there and, and coyotes and oh, it was magical. And then it snowed on us and it was like, oh, got eight to 10. We were supposed to teach a survival class and then it, it snowed like eight to 10 inches and everyone's like, no, we're not coming out to play with you guys. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's called Survivor. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. That's fantastic. Fantastic. And I tell people, I've got a motto, you know, I live life. I say, suck the bone marrow out of life. Suck the bone marrow out of life. That's one of my mottos. You know, age is just a number. Get out there, experience life. You know, I read in a magazine called Outside One Year, how do you kind of change or shake up your life? And in there, the article talked about buy it. One of the tips was buy a passport and fill it up. Well, I've been doing it. Actually, mine's about to run out in September. So I've got to actually renew that sucker. But I've put some stickers in that thing over these last uh, several years since 2012. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually have my, my uh, I think, either third or fourth uh, passport coming on up here right now. So I'm going to have to renew it again here in another, I think, a year and a half or something of that nature. But no, I'm, what I, so I like about like devices like cell phones, the laptop that we're on here right now, I like it for learning. I like it for seeing things because to me, it's like life, life is nothing but a journey. I want to go and see and do as much as I possibly can. It's, right. uh, I'm still that, that old school guy that, I actually, instead of putting it into the electronics of a cell phone, I still do it actually in an actual, an actual planner so that I know what I'm doing and when it's coming on up because yeah. I may head off an area and do one thing, but oh, rest assured, I'll probably pick up one or two other things while I'm out there in that area because it's just, I like to go and see, see things that uh, most people, they just talk about or they read about. I want to see there yeah. be there with it. So I use an old clipboard with blank sheets of paper on it. And they're like, why do you do that? I'm like, I have to look at it. I have to see it. If I put in an electronic thing, I, I'm not going to see it. If I see it, I know I got to do it. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a clipboard and paper guy. Must be yeah. from my drill sergeant days. Well, no, actually, I have, well, even in my training facility, I have nothing but a bunch of clipboards there as well. So I, I understand what you have. I, I throw rubber band right on the bottom of it. And now I have a pencil somehow attached to it and because uh, I'm still... You know, instead of being an ink pen kind of guy, I'm a pencil. So I like to know that I can erase things that make make my corrections right then and there on, on the spot. So yeah, yeah. Again, I should say, lead by example, right, right there, the pencil with the, yeah. with the big eraser onto it. Yeah. I do make a lot of lot of mistakes. Or once I get something done, it's gone. I move on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so what else you got there, Tom? I'd like to know more about, so you did two, you were in Amazon twice and you were the yeah. only person that did that, correct? Yeah, I'm the only one that's gone to the Peruvian Amazon twice. Yeah. Uh, Amber and Matt were both in the Ecuadorian Amazon, but it's more of a swampier, uh, mangrovey kind of a feel. The Amazon jungle in Peru is what the storybooks are written about. And so I got 64 days in total there, three weeks of it without a bug net. When they got there, they were handing out bug nets. I was like, well, that's just this is a bonus. You guys are having bug nets? Jeez, I didn't have them the last time I was here, and that was hell. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I did that, uh, and that was uh, pretty amazing. Uh, 
And First then, guy to do it three times. I probably lost the most weight of anybody on the show uh, for 21 days, 40 days, 60 days, <laughs> and all time. I probably lost five fifth graders. Wow. What? Okay. Well, g- give us an example. Like, what, what kind of body weight that you went into a show, and then w- right. what did you lose? So. The first one I did, they didn't even have scales. You'd think on a show where you're going to lose weight that you'd have scales. So I went in, I packed on a little extra weight. I went in at 260. Uh, at that time, I was working the Sears School, so I was pretty muscular. I uh, went in there, 260. I came out, they're like, how much weight do you think you lost? I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't know, 33 pounds? I don't know, that's what it looks like. I got home three days after being extracted, eating for three days. Yeah, eating and drinking for three days, Yeah, yeah. And I stepped on the scale, I was 205 pounds. So I really lost probably over 55 pounds. But oh, yeah, I would say easily, easily. Yeah, yeah. So then I went to the Amazon. I got called last minute to go. So I didn't have a, I maybe put 10 pounds on. I was weighing in at like 250, and I lost 44 pounds that time. I went to my first 40-day challenge in Columbia. I packed it on. I think I, I know I lost, I went in at 275. And I lost 73 pounds on that one. I went wow. I went into my alone challenge up in Bulgaria. And I forget what I what I went in at, but I lost 52 pounds. I came out at one 198. Yeah, I went in at, at 250. Uh, I came out at a, a lot days. of people, a lot of people that will bet you that will that will see this episode, they'll be like, they'll be like going, geez. I would like to go on the naked and afraid diet plan if I could, please. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm 355 pounds. I want to yeah. lose, you know, 70, 80 pounds. I mean, they they would, but they probably yeah. wouldn't survive very long no. in the first place because they're too they're too soft to begin with. Right. You know? Bulgaria was tough because I was pretty much a vegetarian and I'd only ate a handful of minnows, four crawfish, and one uh, 15 inch trout because the mammals were. I was trying to. Uh, I only had snares set up for the hogs and then I would spear them but I never got a hog and then the wolves were two wolf packs had came down to my main hunting area and were trying to run me out of there so but I lost I lost 52 pounds in 21 days there uh mostly eating fruits and nuts and wild greens uh, then I went into the swamps for 60 days I was 285 on the day they weighed me I still ate for four more days so it's probably close to 300 I was a big fatty uh, but it was 60 days and we're going into winter time. I lost 90 pounds. So I came wow. out. Yeah. Oh my God. So the way you're talking about food, you don't exactly come across as a vegan here whatsoever. You kind of sound like you really enjoy your meat, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Carnivore. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Neanderthal. I'm a meat eater. Yeah. yeah. Give me meat every time. I know greens are important because I almost got impacted on my very first XL challenge in Colombia. I actually got impacted twice. And the first time was after we ate all that eel, we ate so much of it. I was like, I told the guys, there's no way we can eat all this meat in one night. They're like, we sure as hell will. And I got impacted. It was very dangerous, but I was able to get my stuff moving. And then it happened a second time after that, I I just ate little morsels and I stashed my little food away like a squirrel and would eat little portions after that. And then this last challenge I went in, I lost... I did 43 days and lost 78 pounds. This one. What, what about like dehydrating like the meat or something like that? Like hanging out to dry of it. Yeah, yeah. We do that quite often uh, because you can't, you know, the eel is a little, eel and fish. I mean, you can uh, smoke fish planks when you cut them in half. Okay. With 
But eels, very difficult to try and smoke. Uh, but gators and other mammals, very easy. So normally if we get a, a gator or a caiman or something good size, uh, we each, you know, stew up the meat, do different things and try to smoke as much as we can to preserve it. And you can always throw it in a pot, and reactivate it later with some water, you know. Are, are there certain animals or species that you guys aren't allowed to hunt? Like, like you guys can get in trouble for, or just, uh, are, are there certain rules that they don't tell you? Like you can't yeah. do this or don't go here. Good, good question. Um, there are certain parameters, you know, they, they kind of boundary you up with the bigger groups for a while, but it's enough space that you don't need to really be bouncing over in someone else's zone. Uh, and then there's a list of certain endangered species or other animals you can't touch. And so when you see one, then you're like, damn, I can't touch that bugger. But, you know, and you play by the rules, there's still plenty enough to get after. The bigger problem with hunting comes when you're in an area, seven to 10 days of being in that area, not just us, but having a camera crew footprint, the animals start leaving the zone. Leaving, so yeah, your, your scent and yeah. all of that. Yeah, you put your footprint in this time, me and Steven occupied somebody else's camp. And now we're the second group coming there. So, yeah, you know, I, I was the hunter and he was the fisherman. There wasn't really anything for me to really hunt out there. And uh, I went in and, and one guy that was with Steve and Tim left a blow dart gun. I had never used a blow dart gun in my life, but I picked it up, said, all right, this is going to be a steep learning curve, but I'm going to try and hunt with it. I even got poison off a frog's back. Yeah, I to, remember uh, I saw that. Did it work at all? I remember, I think you hit a snake or something with it, right? Yeah, I hit a fertile lance that was a world record, like a seven-foot fertile lance. It was pretty big. Yeah. The problem I had that I didn't know till I got out is the locals were like, you should have used the wooden darts you had because the poison stays on it and soaks oh, in it. Soaks better. in the wood. That makes sense. And you put it on the metal darts, which I was using because I felt they would go stick in better, which they did. Um, they would evaporate the poison off of the metal. So, yeah. Make, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, the little things that you don't think about when you're out there. But when I hit it, boy, it was it was messed up. It was biting. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing that. It was biting everywhere, and then it fell in the water, and that kind of woke it up enough for it to swim off and get up in its hole. I didn't have a good luck this time hunting too well. But. Yep. So I saw, so on the, like, towards the end of this episode, I think it was, um, yeah. What was what's I forget the other guy that he, he said his name. Um, not Matt? no, not the hunter. Um, the other guy you were with, he said you hang out with him a lot. Steven. Um, yeah, Steven. He, um, you guys, I think he was out and he found uh, the tree that you carved your initials on the first time you were there. Oh, yeah, that was Dan. That was oh, Dan. Dan. Oh, that's right. It was Dan. Okay, okay. Yeah, I got him. Dan started out as a fan and then he did 14 day fan challenge. He did 21 days with and his partner quit, so he did that alone. Mm -hmm. So he came out here, he hit the 40 mark, said, I'm going to go to 60. And so it was really amazing. I had found those initials that I had carved in that tree eight years to the day yeah. when me and Laura oh, wow. were first there. And it were those initials where we were, was where the exact spot where Laura and I built a tree house. Okay. The tree house wasn't there anymore. There was nothing left of what we had. Yeah. That's what know, I was going to ask there. you where it was, if it was a, so that's actually, I remember that in, in yeah. the, some of the, the houses and the and the shelters you have built, I mean, everything from your backpacks, so you build shoes, the boats, yep. 
and then how you improve on everything like this one you added a canopy to the your boat this time you're, oh, you're absolutely that. i mean it goes it goes back to lessons learned when me and laura first paddled out we were on the river for three days we got all burnt up and that sun on the river is is brutal and mm-hmm. i knew that the six of us we had a long journey that if we were going to be out there in that sun and dehydrating you know then you got to stop pull over boil mm-hmm. water you know just waste time I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to put a canopy up here because I really wish we would have had one last time. Yeah. The first and, time uh, you guys got caught in that storm and oh, had to stop a few miles before you didn't even realize how close you probably were. But two still, miles I, from our original extraction point, that storm came in, actually flooded out the extraction point. We had a road to another location uh, to, to get on the helicopters. And it was when that storm came in, I could feel the electricity from the static electricity from the lightning hitting the river on the tributary. And my hair was standing up on the back of my neck. I was like, we got to get off this thing or we're in trouble. And we got off of it. There was nowhere to hide. We, she had a little bread basket she had made. We put that over top of us, had a few palms over us and huddled up. And that was five, almost six hours of torrential downpour. You'd think in the Amazon where it's super hot and humid during the day, you wouldn't get uh, hypothermia. And we were, we were speaking in tongues. At the moment, I grabbed her and said, let's go row. They're about to tap us out. And I was like, no, no, you're not tapping us. Hell no. And so we just started rowing to get our blood going again. Um, That's probably the closest I've come to being in risk of being tapped. Even in the swamps when I speared my testicles and uh, had them sewn up, no local anesthesia. Just their girl comes out, she gets ready to numb me up. I'm like, what are you doing? Put that away. It's a sack. Just start stitching because the sun's going down. I got to collect firewood. So she stitched me up. That was day 27. Stayed 33 more days in the Legends episode in the Atchafalaya Swamp Basin. I've been by myself for two weeks. And then uh, Max and Gary showed up the next day, but I finished 33 more days. And on that episode, um, to get off my island, I had been on my island 46 days, which was at that time the longest anyone had stayed in one camp. Uh, and it was my uh, it was my birthday that day. Uh, I turned fifty five. Uh, we rode out and we made we had you saw it took us ten days to cut out and burn out a actual dugout canoe that you know the Indians had used probably ten thousand years earlier. That was pretty epic. Boat. Yep. Yeah, you've made some awesome stuff, man. Everything that I've seen, it's crazy. I like your your backpacks. Are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And that's where I get to show my creativity and the things I make. So, and it, and then it takes time to do that stuff. And it, you know, nothing but time out there when you're surviving. You yeah. But yeah. So. to make the best of it. Well, yep. you might, you mind going over um, some of your injuries? I know I've seen you that first, from your first one, you had that, uh, that thorn right away. After a few days, you got a thorn in your foot that got infected. I've seen you day, day pack two. your shin. Yeah. But yeah. Was, I mean, you yeah. Go, go over. Tony. Tony's on <laughs> Well, the Frankenstein that is EJ Snyder. So the first season, my big injury was I stepped on a thorn day two, acacia thorn. They're real good about going in, and they're about as long as your finger, not as not as thick, but you know they're that long, and they go in easy and they come out very brittle. So it broke apart. I had a about a half inch shard up in my foot for almost over two weeks. It festered so bad that they thought it was going to go into my bloodstream. So. The producer stepped in because my life was at risk as they felt. I felt fine. I was going to cauterize it with a knife 
And then that rainstorm came in and it was like, well, I can't do that now. So they took me to the bush doctor, gallon of alcohol, safety pin, razor blade, let's go. No local numbing, slashes it, digs in there, dumps the alcohol on there, pus is shooting up over his shoulder, bouncing off the tent. I'm screaming, Kelly's holding my hand. And then I got up and I walked uh, eight miles two days later to get to my the base of the mountain that we were gonna climb 1500 feet to get to the top of it uh, to extract out of there. Uh, what, what, did, what did you have as, as footwear at that time? Because I know that you have yeah. your, your naked afraid. So I mean, what, what did you make? Good question, Dan. I was basically a, a, a shoe cobbler out there. I was making bark sandals and I, was, I cut 14 pairs of bark shoes out there. And Kelly, they were bothering her feet. So I started making her a wooden sandal and I had made one and she loved it, very comfortable. So I started working on the second one. That's when my knife broke. Uh, but I started making bark shoes. Uh, they worked out pretty well uh, and they were great. As long as like Kelly used to run around in the riverbed on the rocks and it would break them really, really fast. And if you were just out on the ground on the Savannah, it was really good yeah. against the thorns. So I had bark shoes and that's what I walked out in, but I walked eight miles on that foot that they had just cut open. And then in the Amazon, I uh, was using a knife that wasn't mine. It was Laura's. It was probably the fifth day. And I'm hacking on poles to build our tree house. I'm getting down to the last few for the day. It's starting to drizzle. I hack through this, uh, this uh, tree, goes right through the tree and doesn't stop until it plants itself into my left shin bone. Oh. So I'm looking at this knife and I'm like, shit. And I pull it out. Blood's shooting out. I'm like, oh gosh. I put my hand over it. The camera guy's, what's what's going on, mate? What's going on? I'm like, I don't want to say nothing. I'm like, Laura, I need your help. So Laura comes running. We start patching it up. They're like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to wait till the morning because it's rainy right now. When the sun comes up, I'm going to go over to that ant pile over there grab some of those bullet ants and I'm going to make them bite into the cut and close it up. It acts like a little bit of an anesthesia and you twist the head off and the head stays in the wound. And then when the wounds healed, the head just falls off naturally. And then they were like, they looked at me and they're like, you're serious, right? I'm like, yeah, that's how you, that's how they do it here in the Amazon. It was a new producer. The medic was freaked out. Thought yeah. I was going to lose my leg. They overruled me. They stitched me up. I got seven stitches. Um, in Colombia, I don't think I ever had a very bad injury other than I got that got backed up. And then in Bulgaria, before I went in the challenge, I'm riding on the little truck and we're doing the B-roll. You know, EJ's running up and running down. So I'm sitting on the tailgate of this small, like a Toyota type truck. It, it was some Russian truck. And the guy's rolling along and he hits a pothole. I dump out the back like a, a like a skin diver. And I land with all my weight, all 250 pounds on the crowd of my head. I hear everything oh. go, and I'm like, oh, fuck. And I roll over, and I'm face down. And I hear the, the camera guy going, mate, mate, you okay? You okay? And I'm like, oh, my God. I just broke my freaking neck. I heard everything pop. Yeah. I, start yeah. wiggle, I start wiggling my fingers. I'm like, okay, they're working. Wiggle my toes. Okay. Let me get my knees up underneath me. And I kind of like sat up and I was like dizzy as all get out. And I was like, all right, I'm coming to the truck. I stood up and started walking towards the truck. And they're like, where's the truck? Where's like, mate, it's right in front of you. I'm like, 
I got a hold of that tailgate and I was like, oh my God, what the hell? Are you guys trying to kill me? He's like, and he's filming me. He's like, mate, you, you want to go home now, right? You probably don't want to finish this now. And it was like, we weren't even in this, the challenge yet. And I'm like, buddy, you don't know EJ Snyder. I didn't come all 5,000 miles to go home now. Let's, let's get going. Just give me, give me some aspirin so I can get this headache gone. Let's get going. So that was, that, that was a pretty rough one. Maybe when you, when you woke up the next day, were you all stiff and hurt or, or you know, from, from, from uh, that yeah, my neck, my neck was super stiff, super stiff, but thankfully, you know, I've always but you had never had to have an X, never had X, had an X-ray out to it. Just, no, just never, good to go. never broke. Just was a good readjustment, I guess. Thankfully, I've always worked my neck out, you know, for what, you know, for the fighting days and, and made sure even for football, I always had a super strong neck. So that probably yeah, saved yeah. me. Uh, and that particular episode, before we go back to injuries, I probably got pretty close to hypothermia that night. I didn't have any furs like I did in the swamps. And I lost my fire. They never showed it on the episode, but I lost my fire. I was having to do bow drill fires. And at that place, you could only bow drill between one and three in the afternoon when the sun was highest and the hottest uh, because there would be a cold breeze blowing in there. It would get the, the, the mist would come in and water and wind are the enemies of fire. And so I'm bow drilling away, bow drilling away, can't get a fire. That was the longest 14 hours of my life. The weather got, it got down about 28 degrees that night. I'm dancing all over the place. I'm singing, I'm hollering. I'm trying to climb up under yellow grass to get warm. I climbed up under leaves. The next morning I'm sitting there and I'm surrounded in my valley by tall peaks, 360 degrees. So the sun, even though it's up at six, I got to wait till eight o'clock for it to clear the ridge. So I'm sitting there in a yoga, you know, cross-legged position, palms up, meditating, praying. Oh, and I hear the crew come up and they whisper, holy shit, he's still fucking here. And I stand up and I scream and I go, yeah, goddamn right, I'm still here. Let's get fired today because I'm fucking half froze. Let's go. And uh, <laughs> I, I finished that challenge. And that challenge, on the other side of the ridge from where I was over the mountain, they sent in a regular Naked Afraid 21-day team, a man and a woman. The guy quit on day two. The girl was by herself for several days. She was starting to get ready to, to go. And they were like, I'm like, I heard that she was by herself. And I was like, I had like a week left or something. I was like, well, no one should be out here alone. I've been out here for two weeks by myself. When I'm done here, I'll go help her. And they're like, really? So they ran that up the flagpole. I thought that would have been pretty cool going into help someone else finish yeah, their yeah, challenge. Yeah. And, uh, and they were like, the timing, the, the girl was getting ready to tap. So they're like, we got to get someone in there now. So they sent another guy in. Two days later, she wound up tapping anyway. And then he tapped the next day. So four people went to Bulgaria and only I came out. Wow. Wow. Then, of course, we know the swamps. I, I, I uh, decided to split up, uh, try to spear my meatballs and uh, and uh, castrate myself. Uh, <laughs> don't want to repeat that, but it definitely was uh, put you on the map for being hardcore, for sure. Hell yeah. And then, thankfully, this challenge, other than what I went in with, three broken toes, a bad back, and uh, – uh, hypothyroidism with a severely failing thyroid. Oh, that's all. I didn't, I didn't do anything out there to worsen my situation. Wow. And you still. Okay. I, oh, and there was you... one other thing I had that 
I forgot I had a I had got bit by a, a wild dog on my left hand, so that was still healing up before I went out there. I keep forgetting about that one. Well, okay, but 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 did that happen domestically? What back? Yeah, yeah like... domestically. Yeah, domestically. <laughs> I just didn't the wildcat. The wildcat take you out, so something domestically might. <laughs> yeah, it was a wild well, dog. It, it it was in uh, I forget where I saw him at. He was coming up like he was hungry. So I went to feed him something and then he got scared or whatever, bit my left hand. I was like, you little, he had a strong jaw. It was a mess. I'm grateful. I'm grateful there. Oh, yeah. EJ, you're, you're familiar with the other program known as Survivor, right? Yes. There, there's, there's Naked and Afraid and then there's Survivor. Naked and Afraid, basically two people typically go out there, usually a man and woman. Um, then you got Survivor where it's a group of, I, I think, of what, uh, six people? I, I might be wrong on, on the numbers here right Survivor? now. But, uh, yeah, Survivor. We're usually they send Survivor's out a group. 18, Survivor's normally 18 people. I think one season they did 20. Okay. Uh, and, they divide it, and they d- divide up the two teams, and again, through a whole series of ways that they get their two, two verse teams. Two teams. Sometimes it's been three tribes. Um, that's when they do like the 18. They'll do three tribes. Um, I applied for that show like 14 times or something like that. And I was a finalist, semi-finalist in season 13. They switched the program up uh, to be more, uh, it was the ethnic season where they had the Hispanic tribe, Asian tribe, African-American tribe, Caucasian tribe. So my peg as a skull wearing, loud mouth, big muscle dude, you know, that peg, you know, wasn't, I didn't fit any of the pegs. So it was, Billy Garcia, a good friend of mine, did. He was a, he's a uh, underground wrestler. Uh, then they came back in season 21, and it was the over 40, under 30 season, and they picked me up. And I went out there, tried out, made the final cast, and I was good to go. And then they called me up uh, a few days later after I was already done and proved. Uh, EJ, we're going a different direction. Jimmy Johnson, the football coach, cleared his medicals because he was a super survivor fan. Two years earlier, he had tried out for Survivor, and he found out he had a bad heart. So Survivor basically saved his life. He changed his eating habits, his fitness, stopped smoking, drinking. So he cleared medicals. I'm a Giants fan, and they sent in the Dallas Cowboys coach. That was not real fun. But but what happened was that got my name out there in the casting world of adventure-type programming, and it's probably part of the reason why Discovery found me, because – my name was bouncing all over different reality TV shows at that point. Wow. I mean, incredible. I just, cause I, I kept thinking, you know, just from listening to you and talking to you here now, you, you, you seem like you get along with people just fine right there. Cause you've got your, your strong, your, your strong traits. I kept thinking, but if you were to put it to be one of these challenges, would be, would you be better on your own or would you be better in one of these group situations? Because definitely, you are definitely an alpha male. Okay. Yeah. There's no yeah, two yeah, ways about sure. it. So <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't yeah, know I, how, how well you would take to a group versus right. I, the. I do really well actually in groups. Um, I'm, I'm really good by myself. I'm good in twos. I'm good in groups. Uh, that's probably one of the most underrated survival skills you could have is group dynamics and understanding how have people's skills, understand people's needs. Uh, and, and part of leadership is putting your best players where they're best needed and yes. put them, you know, you, you do this well, you go there, you do this well, you go there and, yeah. and managing people and managing 
drama and personalities and juggling them and keeping your finger on the pulse, you know, that stuff's really important. That keeps that, you know, that's the glue that keeps, you know, survival communities together. Someone has to be kind of the chief and in charge in terms of just managing that stuff. Not saying I'm going to be a dictator and say, you got to go do this. But there are times where a, a tough decision has to be made when somebody has to make it. Yeah, that's just yeah, what it is. Yeah. You know, getting into a situation like this, everyone needs to throw the proverbial resumes on the table. Who's the most qualified and best qualified to lead us in the situation? Yeah. Don't let your ego get in there. Just because you ran an ice cream shop doesn't trump yeah. the full bird colonel who's been to Iraq three times and, and is full of medals. You know, that, that just, that dog don't hunt. Yeah. Yeah, there are hunters, then there are gatherers, and then there's yeah. So no, I I get it all. Well, I think uh, I would fare well. I'd be un, you know, I would be mis miscalculated in a game like Survivor because people would see me as a big, loud, brooding kind of a guy. But I'm highly calculating, highly intelligent, um, and I've been studying that game for forty you know, forty seasons now. So I yeah. know how it's played inside and out. I understand the social dynamics. And my big X factor when dealing with people is when I was in the Sears school, I had to portray a enemy bad guy. So I went, they sent me to all these different schools to learn how to question people, how to see verbals and nonverbals, know when people are handing you a bill of sales and lying to uh, knowing how to question people and get answers that they don't know they're giving you, profiling people, that kind of stuff. So that's yeah. kind of a ace under my hat kind of a skill. Yeah. The only thing that I, I disliked about the, the survivors, I go in, they'll keep you along because you're going to make certain that they get food, they get shelter, they've got the water, yeah, they've got yeah. fire, you've got all the elements. I go in, now you're, you're one of the biggest threats. You're the biggest asset in the beginning. Now you're one of the biggest threats. Yeah. We need to vote you out. That's right, what right. I didn't like about and, that. And what because, you need to do is just, understand, you know, you have to, the biggest mistake a lot of got, provider got types do in Survivor is they, they do that and then they forget about the other part of it is making sure those people, you know, you're having relationships, you understand who their kids are, where they grew up, some of the, you know, their faves and their non-faves, you know, things they like to eat or they have a favorite hobby. All those are very important things to know about a person to make sure you're relating to them on a personal level, not just, hey, here's some more fish, eat, eat, eat. And then always... You know, you always have, you know, us older guys, we always had those bad knees, you know, and so I'm not going to be an individual challenge threat because I got, you know, we've been doing this team events and I did okay, but, you know, I think during one of those challenges, my right knee is a little bummed. I, I'm not going to be able to be a threat for you to take your individual immunity idol. And then that one yeah, I needed yeah. most, that's when my knees miraculously is better. <laughs> I thought you had a bad knee. Well, it must have got me. better. It must have been all that fish oil I put on it. <laughs> is is there anybody that you just did not get along with on your shows like on the naked and afraid i, I pride myself really in, in the art of, of of people you know people skills that i've learned through the years of growing up being bullied dealing with people knowing how to, to become a 285 pound guy with 20 inch arms and having kind of an intimidating stare you gotta learn how to speak to people so you can put yeah. them at ease I love telling jokes. I love making people laugh. So I have a very good sense of humor. I like to have a good time. And so I don't care. The cards you get dealt, even in a real life survival situation, you have to play them. And so anytime I wear my emotions on my sleeve, if you're yeah. bothering me, you're going to know because I'm going to start making faces and it just happens. I, I 
I got a kind of a rubberized Jim Carrey face and you're going to know exactly what I'm feeling. You're going to feel it coming off of me. And I don't hold on to negativity in my life anymore. I got to deal with it. Yeah. And I'm going to pull you aside right then and there. We're going to, we're going to handle it. Yeah. Like me and Matt, like men right there on the spot. We had a respect for each other. We had love for each other. Let's just kill this so we can keep being a good team. I had a situation with Suzanne who felt like she was being a sidekick. And I was like, honey, you're no sidekick. You've got value. I value you. You helped me and Sus uh, Sarah build a great shelter. She was just intimidated by my reputation and who I was before she even got gave me a chance yeah. to, to let her do her thing. And she took the fish hooks. I'm like, girl, you haven't even put a fish hook in one yet. I can't fish. I'm terrible. I'm the worst fisherman on the planet. Please go fish because we need to eat and be a hero in that sense. And so um, and even Amber and I, I've known Amber a long time. I've known her husband longer. He's a knife maker. Um, and, and she's like a sister. I love her. Yeah, she's Did good. she get on my Absolutely. She got on my nerves. Did I probably yeah. get on her shirt? Yeah, we had cheeseburger involved, but we dealt with it on and off camera. You got to have those conversations continually um, to make sure, you know, if something's irritating you. That can become, that little thing out there can become a monstrous thing. And if yeah. it becomes cancerous and affects the rest of the group, man, you got to put that thing to bed quick. So, I mean, I've had some cast do some unscrupulous things outside of the thing, but I, you know, we're a crazy family. You don't have to like everybody, just respect each other, get along. And, you know, if, I would never do what they did to me in public or, or make those remarks or do those certain things. Uh, but that's, they have to live with that. That's on them. That's not on me. Nothing I, can I can just say, like I've openly said publicly, I forgive you guys. Both of you, you know who you are, and that's it. I have nothing but love in my heart for you, and it's over. That's it. You can't do nothing about what's back there. You can't. You can only learn from it, and you can only move forward. That's that's it. In life, that's that's what it is. Well, actually, I keep looking at the uh, the what's back there. Well, we actually that guy F, F, uh, FJB. We could do something about that though, so that don't count. <laughs> I, I get a kick out of the one. I look at the one photo over over your right shoulder there, and uh, I mean the the bottom photo. It actually reminds me more of the the Arnold Schwarzenegger picture from his uh, one movie. Uh, one movie my, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. This one reminds me of that uh, Predator. Uh, what, what am I thinking of there, Tony? Uh, when when he's out out in the bush with no pre with Predator 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 yeah. Yeah, that was the swamps of Florida. Uh, we had one deer pelt. I put that over like a cloak, and I had this little stick going through it. And uh, thank God we had that. It was so cold. And then uh, I think I know you see that one up there. That's from Columbia. And uh, that one was uh, the first XL. And then this one behind here is a show I did called Mountain Masters. I don't know if the, the cameras that they got a little light. No, yeah, yeah, it's, it's seen it nicely. But that one, uh, I hosted a show where they did survival skills challenges all the way up the mountain, and we voted one person out based on what they performed and presented us. Uh -huh. And then we did it to the second person, and the last two fought, fought up the mountain. First one who put their axe in the stump won $10,000 titled Mountain Master. And we filmed the, that was just a pilot one episode. We're waiting to see if that thing's doing anything else. 
And then over here on the stair, we've got um, up in the back corner, there's me and Jeff doing uh, dual survival. Let's see there, there's me and Jeff up top there. Jeff was out there with me on this one. He's my second longest partner at uh, 53 days or 52. Wow. And then so that's, okay, but that was, but that all was in Thailand? Um, no, up there, that one was Brazil, that, that picture right okay. there. Now that one's Thailand, that's Northern Thailand. Okay. That's me and Ed Stafford. Ed Stafford uh, was, he's, a, he's the first man to walk the entirety of the Amazon river from Peru all the way to Brazil. He wrote a book, Walking the Amazon. He starts doing, he's a British guy doing all these adventure shows. He was the first guy to go out naked on an island by himself with no tools at all for like 60 days. And then he was out in the Fijian Island. And then we did like three months later, we're filming Naked and Afraid. And then lastly, there's me. Last time I was in Iraq. I don't know if that's very well you can see that. Yep. No. So that's just one of my promo posters that I do these uh, appearances. So everyone's like, oh, there he is. Makes a nice backdrop. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. AJ, what can I say? You're just an American badass. That's what I, Thanks, I think. You, 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 and I, you and I would have a good time together. That's all, that's all I know. We get along just fine. Sure we would, buddy. Coming from one badass to another, that's I'm honored. I, I like I said, you you have carved a, a great way of your own in in your business, and uh, I was been a fan since day one of you. I still go back and watch all all the clips and and find you on YouTube and all the old fights, and uh, I just always enjoyed your career. Well, part of our purpose here with uh, doing this uh, this uh, podcast here, we're just going to because a lot of people when they've heard that. Uh, you know, Don Fry and I were going to start to do something like this. I kept thinking it was going to be just nothing about, about fighting. I go, now I go, we'll jump into all the things that we've done. I like, I, I like amateur wrestling, so I, I like to talk to, you know, amateur wrestlers. I like to talk to professional wrestlers. I like to talk to cage fighters. But then yeah. also, I want great Americans. I want people that that took risks. I want people that, were, that, that have become successful business people. I want people that have that American spirit. I've got... Uh, well, Tony and I, we got different people that are lined up that they've come to the United States the right way. Immigrants that have come to our country the right way, and they don't like what's happening at our borders and things of nature. I want them to come on our show and let them speak out against what is wrong with the United States, because it's great to see, hear from someone that has come to our country for some place else. And, and, and to know they did it the right way. That's the way everybody else should be doing it. Absolutely. So, 100%. Yeah, there's a, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And then there's called uh, having uh, proper leadership. And uh, we don't have leadership at, in our country right now. We have such a uh, quagmire of uh, uh, problems. Yeah, yes, lots of problems. Lots of problems. So lots, lots of problems right and very, hand little, very little solutions, at least coming from where, where, where the problems uh, originating from. Yes, There's definitely enough exactly. answers out there, uh, and uh, they need to happen pretty soon, or, or things are going to be in really bad shape. Yep, 
well, again, you might be selling a lot, a lot of your bug out kits or a lot more people will be tuned into those uh, those videos there because they're going to need the know-how to survive. Yeah, they sure will. I'm just going over to pjsnyder.com, folks. Sign up with your email. You'll get all the alerts, newsletters, blogs, updates, special sales that are only for folks in the Skull Crusher Nation and, uh, you know, things like this patch here and different things. Uh, we're building fast. We're growing, so you don't want to miss out. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at EJ Snyder333. Over on Facebook, look for the blue check, EJ Snyder, 103,000 followers. So, you know, go with the original, not any fake imitations that might be out there. Nope. Well, Tony, I think, uh, again, I think that's a wrap. I think we've got, uh, unless you got anything else you want, want to plug here, EJ, I, I'll give you all the time in the world because you, you get. You are a true American. You got that can-do spirit, and and we'd actually love to have you on probably at a future episode to talk about a few more specific type of things. Don't know what that is yeah. right now, but uh, something a little bit more specifically, but uh, might be what the state of the country at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to come back. Um, I do stuff like this all the time. I'm actually uh, working on getting a position, at least a regular. Uh, seeing my mug regularly on Fox News uh, quite a bit, maybe Fox Nation. I'm going to be guest on Dan Bongino's show probably after this. You can go to my Twitter page. Normally it's posted somewhere there in the video feed, but Dan yeah. keeps having me back. He's a great American. Uh, I, I, so I love watching Dan Bongino. So just go to ejsnyder.com. We've got a brand new uh, Mountain Predator knife called the, it's a uh, survival buoy knife. I collaborated with uh, Stroop Knives, a veteran owned company that's uh, locally in Hope Mills, North Carolina, right next to Fort Bragg. Uh, he's a veteran who hires only veterans and former police officers and got family members in there making these knives. And that knife is a, a really good survival knife. It's a buoy knife called the Mountain Predator. You can find it on my website. We got everything, all your needs covered though in survival, whether it's gear, training, uh, and you want to get over there, you can find it all right there at ejsnyder.com. I appreciate the time. Look forward to being back here again. America, remember why we were founded. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate having on there. That concludes another episode of Toxic Masculinity. And if we happen to uh, offend or defend anybody and everybody, well, put your, your, your man pants back on because we are a toxic masculinity type of a show and program here to entertain and enlighten all in the same breath. Thank you there, EJ, for coming on with us this evening. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, EJ. Thank you for your service. Thank yeah! You. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.